Section thirty five of a book of Sibyls by Anne Thackeray Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jane Austen, Part three. A little book written by one of Jane Austen's nephews tells with a touching directness and simplicity the story of this good and gifted woman whose name has long been a household word among us but of whose history nothing was known until this little volume appeared it is but the story of a country lady of quiet days following quiet days of seasons in their course of common events and yet the history is deeply interesting to those who love the writer of whom it is written and as we turn from the story of jane austen's life to her books again we feel more than ever that she too was one of those true friends who belonged to us inalienably simple wise contented living in others one of those whom we seem to have a right to love such people belong to all humankind by the very right of their wide and generous sympathies of their gentle wisdom and lovableness jane austen's life as it is told by mr austen lee is very touching sweet and peaceful it is a country landscape where the cattle are grazing the boughs of the great elm tree rocking in the wind sometimes as we read they come falling with a crash into the sweep birds are flying about the old house homely in its simple rule the rafters cross the whitewashed ceilings the beams project into the room below we can see it all the parlor with the horsehair sofa the scant quaint furniture the old-fashioned garden outside with its flowers and vegetables combined and along the south side of the garden the green terrace sloping away there is a pretty description of the sisters devotion to one another when cassandra went to school little jane accompanied her the sisters could not be parted of the family party of the old place where there are hedgerows winding with green shady footpaths within the copse where the earliest primroses and hyacinths are found there is the wood-walk with its rustic seats leading to the meadows the church-walk leading to the church which is far from the hum of the village and within sight of no habitation except a glimpse of the grey manor-house through its circling screen of sycamores sweet violets both purple and white grow in abundance beneath its south wall large elms protrude their rough branches old hawthorns shed their blossoms over the graves and the hollow yew-trees must be at least coeval with the church one may read the account of catherine morland's home with new interest from the hint which is given of its likeness to the old house at steventon where dwelt the unknown friend whose voice we seem to hear at last and whose face we seem to recognize her bright eyes and brown curly hair her quick and graceful figure one can picture the children who are playing at the door of the old parsonage and calling for aunt jane one can imagine her pretty ways with them her sympathy for the active their games and imaginations there is cassandra she is older than her sister more critical more beautiful more reserved there is the mother of the family with her keen wit and clear mind the handsome father the handsome proctor as he was called the five brothers driving up the lane tranquil summer passes by the winter days go by the young lady still sits writing at the old mahogany desk and smiling perhaps at her own fancies and hiding them away with her papers at the sound of coming steps 
now the modest papers printed and reprinted lie in every hand the fancies disport themselves at their will in the wisest brains and the most foolish it must have been at steventon jane austen's earliest home that mr collins first made his appearance lady catherine not objecting as we know to his occasional absence on a sunday provided another clergyman was engaged to do the duty of the day and here conversing with miss jane that he must have made many of his profoundest observations upon human nature remarking among other things that resignation is never so perfect as when the blessing denied begins to lose somewhat of its value in our estimation and propounding his celebrated theory about the usual practice of elegant females it must have been here too that poor mrs bennet declared with some justice that once estates are entailed one can never tell how they will go here too that mrs allen's sprigged muslin and john thorpe's rodomontades were woven that his gig was built curricle hung lamps seat trunk sword-case splash-board silver moulding all you see complete the ironwork as good as new or better he asked fifty guineas i closed with him directly threw down the money and the carriage was mine and i am sure said catherine i know so little of such things that i cannot judge whether it was cheap or dear neither the one nor the other says john thorpe mrs palmer was also born at steventon that good-humoured lady in sense and sensibility who thinks it so ridiculous that her husband never hears her when she speaks to him we are told that marianne and eleanor have been supposed to represent cassandra and jane austen but mr austen lee says that he can trace no resemblance jane austen is not twenty when this book is written and only twenty-one when pride and prejudice is first devised cousins presently come on the scene and amongst them the romantic figure of a young widowed comtesse de foyade flying from the revolution to her uncle's home she is described as a clever and accomplished woman interested in her young cousins teaching them french both jane and cassandra knew french helping in their various schemes in their theatricals in the barn she eventually marries her cousin henry austen the simple family annals are not without their romance but there is a cruel one for poor cassandra whose lover dies abroad and his death saddens the whole family party jane too receives the addresses do such things as addresses exist nowadays of a gentleman possessed of good character and fortune and of everything in short except the subtle power of touching her heart one cannot help wondering whether this was a henry crawford or an elton or a mr elliot or had jane already seen the person that even cassandra thought good enough for her sister here too is another sorrowful story the sister's fate there was a sad coincidence and similarity in it was to be undivided their life their experience was the same someone without a name takes leave of jane one day promising to come back he never comes back long afterwards they hear of his death the story seems even sadder than cassandra's in its silence and uncertainty for silence and uncertainty are death in life to some people there is little trace of such a tragedy in jane austen's books not one morbid word is to be found not one vain regret 
hers was not a nature to fall crushed by the overthrow of one phase of her manifold life she seems to have had a natural genius for life if i may so speak too vivid and genuinely unselfish to fail her in her need she could gather every flower every brightness along her road good spirit content all the interests of a happy and observant nature were hers her gentle humour and wit and interest cannot have failed it is impossible to calculate the difference of the grasp by which one or another human being realises existence and the things relating to it nor how much more vivid life seems to some than to others jane austen while her existence lasted realised it and made the best use of the gifts that were hers yet when her life was ending then it was given to her to understand the change that was at hand as willingly as she had lived she died some people seem scarcely to rise up to their own work to their own ideal jane austen's life as it is told by her nephew is beyond her work which only contained one phase of that sweet and wise nature the creative observant outward phase for her home for her sister for her friends she kept the depth and tenderness of her bright and gentle sympathy she is described as busy with her neat and clever fingers sewing for the poor working fanciful keepsakes for her friends there is the cup and ball that she never failed to catch the spillikins lie in an even ring where she had thrown them there are her letters straightly and neatly folded and fitting smoothly in their creases there is something sweet orderly and consistent in her character and all her tastes in her fondness for crab and cowper in her little joke that she ought to be a mrs crab she sings of an evening old ballads to old-fashioned tunes with a low sweet voice further on we have a glimpse of jane and her sister in their mob-caps young still but dressed soberly beyond their years one can imagine aunt jane with her brother's children round her knee telling her delightful stories or listening to theirs with never-failing sympathy one can fancy cassandra who does not like desultory novels more prudent and more reserved and somewhat less of a playfellow looking down upon the group with elder sister's eyes here is an extract from a letter written at steventon in eighteen hundred i have two messages let me get rid of them and then my paper will be my own mary fully intended writing by mr charles frank and only happened entirely to forget it but will write soon and my father wishes edward to send him a memorandum of the price of hops sunday evening we have had a dreadful storm of wind in the forepart of the day which has done a great deal of mischief among our trees i was sitting alone in the drawing-room when an odd kind of crash startled me in a moment afterwards it was repeated i then went to the window i reached it just in time to see the last of our two highly valued elms descend into the sweep the other which had fallen i suppose in the first crash and which was nearest to the pond taking a more easterly direction sank among our screen of chestnuts and firs knocking down one spruce fir breaking off the head of another and stripping the two corner chestnuts of several branches in its fall this is not all the maple bearing the weathercock was broken in two 
and what i regret more than all the rest is that all the three elms that grew in hall's meadow and gave such ornament to it are gone a certain mrs stent comes into one of these letters ejaculating some wonder about the cocks and hens mrs stent seems to have tried their patience and will be known henceforward as having bored jane austen they leave steventon when jane is about twenty-five years of age and go to bath from whence a couple of pleasant letters are given us jane is writing to her sister she has visited miss a who like all other young ladies is considerably genteeler than her parents she is heartily glad that cassandra speaks so comfortably of her health and looks could travelling fifty miles produce such an immediate change you were looking poorly when you were here and everybody seemed sensible of it is there any charm in a hack post-chaise but if there were mrs craven's carriage might have undone it all then mrs stent appears again poor mrs stent it has been her lot to be always in the way but we must be merciful for perhaps in time we may come to be mrs stent's ourselves unequal to anything and unwelcome to everybody elsewhere she writes upon mrs blank's mentioning that she had sent the rejected addresses to mr h i began talking to her a little about them and expressed my hope of their having amused her her answer was oh yes dear very much very droll indeed the opening of the house and the striking up of the fiddles what she meant poor woman who shall say but there is no malice in jane austen hers is the charity of all clear minds it is only the muddled who are intolerant all who love emma and mr knightley must remember the touching little scene in which he reproves her for her thoughtless impatience of poor miss bates's volubility you whom she had known from an infant whom she had seen grow up from a period when her notice was an honour to have you now in thoughtless spirits and in the pride of the moment laugh at her humble her this is not pleasant to you emma and it is very far from pleasant to me but i must i will tell you truths while i am satisfied with proving myself your friend by very faithful counsel and trusting that you will some time or other do me greater justice than you can do me now while they talked they were advancing towards the carriage it was ready and before she could speak again he had handed her in he had misinterpreted the feeling which kept her face averted and her tongue motionless mr knightley's little sermon in its old-fashioned english is as applicable now as it was when it was spoken we know that he was an especial favorite with jane austen End of section thirty five